Welcome to month two of the Deliberately Better podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Damon Ashworth, and I'm joined again by Dr. James Gillard. Welcome, James. Hey, Dame. How are you doing? Pleasure to be here. How was your month? It's been a pretty interesting month overall, I think, for, you know, for, for where we're living and, and particularly for where you're living, you know, with the external circumstances that we find ourselves in. Has uh, your work or your life been impacted much by what's going on with coronavirus? I guess, you know, I'm based down in Geelong and there hasn't been a whole lot of change. We haven't gone in, back into stage three lockdowns. We do keep a close eye on, you know, the active case numbers and, and whether they're climbing, you know, in our locality. But in terms of our, our work situation, we've just been told now that it's mandatory to wear masks, which at the clinic that I work at, we had been doing that previously. And I also heard on the news last night that the people who are working in aged care facilities are now being asked to work in only one facility. And so I work usually in three facilities. So that's going to be interesting to see how that and the fallout and the influence it has on my work routine. But we will wait and see regards to that. How about yourself? Have you, I mean, obviously you're in the thick of things there in Melbourne. How have you found the impacts of coronavirus? Yeah, over the last month, it's kind of exploded. So I think the last time we spoke, there was maybe less than 10 cases a day. And now last week it was up to 420 or something. Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. And I, I think people are pretty stressed and a lot of restaurants and things have had to close down again. So there is probably more stress and tension, especially over the last week than what there was in that first three weeks. Uh, we've been asked to, to wear masks from Wednesday. So every time we go outside, we're going to have to do that now, whereas before we hadn't. You know, living by myself as well in Melbourne, it's, it's pretty isolating, but I'm still working, still seeing patients, still enjoying being able to help people where I can. And have you noticed with the patients that you're seeing, there's that sense of it because you are going back into lockdown, has there been a sense of, you know, something being taken away or that freedom being taken away or have you noticed anything in particular there? Yeah, potentially. I think everyone reacts in a different way. In some way, like being asked to just stay in your home and to only go out for four reasons, it can simplify life. So I think for people that fall into the trap of doing too much all the time, it might actually be a good thing to slow down a little bit, to take that pressure off and to not feel like they have to do everything all at once. I think for people that were, you know, slowly starting to get out there and enjoying seeing some of their friends again, especially if they've got a business where they were able to open up it again and they were excited and then they've had to close it down again, that would be a, a real big shock. And it happened quite suddenly as well. From a mental health perspective, there, there might be more people that are going to struggle with this second lockdown, especially because, you know, we don't know how long it's going to go for. There's not this sense of these are the steps we're going to take and then we're going to be okay. There's still a lot of uncertainty and with that comes a lot of fear. Do you think comparatively to the first time you know, we went into lockdown, do you think the government set out a better, easier to understand protocol to follow for people? Is it being clearer that message? I would say less clear this time. Like okay. there are people that are still able to go fishing or there are people that are playing golf and going to the beach, whereas last time they were all closed down. If people go outside of their area to exercise, they can get a $1,600 fine. There are a few differences between this time and last time that people maybe aren't that clear on, but it does make sense from a health perspective anyway. Like, what is the harm if you're fishing by yourself as long as it's in your area? Yeah. How was the, the meditation this month? How'd you go with that? Yeah, good. I certainly struggled in parts, and what I did notice was that 
difficulties seemed to arise when my routine changed. So if I say had to get up earlier for work, you know, I either had to shift when I was doing my meditation so that it wasn't early in the morning. I found that doing it at lunchtime was quite good, but then you'd run into obstacles where you'd have to work a little bit longer through lunch or your lunchtime was shifted. And then I'd find myself, okay, I've pushing it back a little bit more in towards the evening when I first got home. And then sometimes when you got home, all you wanted to do was, you know, sit down and relax. And I think I found it a little bit more of a chore than, than what I would have liked. In saying that, I did have quite a big insight, which was great. And that was that I'm inherently very restless, I've realised. And that was a really nice thing for me to be able to observe from an outsider's perspective looking in. I think what I sort of extrapolated from that was that I'm really going to benefit from times of being still and sitting in that space of stillness while there's chaos and lots of things going around, not just in my own life, but, you know, in the world as a whole at the moment. Yeah, I think there's part of us that obviously when we are more stressed, we will become more restless. But if we can manage to sit through that and get to a point where we're a little bit more comfortable with that stillness, then it could have even more benefits. Yeah, I really found, I mean, that for me was the big thing to come out of this whole exercise was that I really do appreciate that level of, of quietness when everything's chaotic. I did get sick and went through that whole process of getting tested and, and the not knowing phase as well that comes with that while you're sort of sitting in isolation awaiting your results. What was that like? Uh, look, I, I was never worried that, you know, I would come back COVID positive, but I think there's that uncertainty of, okay, you know, what's going on here? I've had this sore throat and as soon as there's any chance that we maybe potentially have the virus, you know, we've got to go in and get tested to keep patients and, and residents safe. And I was never concerned, you know, given the low level of community transmission in, in Geelong, but still I think that period of having to organise appointments to get there and sitting there on your hands while you're in self-isolation and awaiting results, there's that essentially the fear of unknown. Yeah. And uncertainty really is, it's pretty difficult for most people to manage. Do you have any tips for how to cope with that if, if you're dealing with the unknown? Oh, I think if you focus on what you can control and what you can't, Obviously, that whole testing and how long you're waiting for it is completely out of your control. And obviously, it's very easy to say objectively that you can go, okay, well, you know, don't worry about it. You can't control it. But um, in actuality and in, in practice, it's a lot more difficult than that. But you've probably got some strategies that you'd recommend there. Yeah, similar thing. So we've got practical coping strategies, which is you're concerned about it, go and get a test, you know, find out where the testing place is to go down to do it in a, a safe way. So you're not endangering other people. But in the meantime, you know, you get the test and then maybe you have to wait 48, 72 hours for the results. You can't do anything about that. So then we actually want to switch to what's called emotional coping strategies. So doing things where we're focusing on what is in our control, which might even just be, I'm going to play video games for the next few days, or I'm going to watch a show on Netflix, or I'm going to talk to friends online. I'm going to keep myself kind of occupied until I get to the, the point where I can get those results or, or do things that are productive, but in other areas that I, I can control. And is that just to shift where your focus is away from what you can't control into as you said, productive activities or is there an element of distracting your mind essentially? 
Yeah, it's distraction, but it's also refocusing. And this is where mindfulness and meditation can be really handy because meditation is really just about making sure that our attention is on what's most important in any given moment. So if you notice that your mind keeps going back to, well, what about the test results? What if I have COVID? What if I get sick? What if I've made other people sick? All of those things, if you have it, then you might be able to do something about it. But until you know that you have it and you're isolating yourself, you're doing all that you can, that's probably not the most important thing to be focusing on. So we know mm. that if we, if we try to suppress it, say, you know, don't think about a pink elephant for the next five minutes, you're going to think about it. But if you can instead say, well, actually, I'd prefer to, to focus on doing this 1,000-piece puzzle, and you put your attention on that every time you start to think about COVID, then you can do something about that. You can try to find those pieces. It's going to occupy a bunch of hours. And hopefully by the end of that, you're that little bit closer to getting the results. Mm. Another thing with the, the meditation, so one of the courses that I did was in mindful eating, which is something that I've really struggled with particularly when you know snacks are out there and I just it's there you know I've got to eat it and so one of the courses that I did through the app 10% Happier they talked about mindful eating and they focused a lot on body awareness and and doing body scans where you would focus on one area of your body and, and work through gradually just feeling different sensations like pressure or tingling, pulsing, that kind of thing, and focus, as you said, on exactly what you can feel. But they also give you opportunities to explore the, the theory and, and put that formal practice into an informal setting. One of the activities, as you're probably quite familiar with, was the raisin test, mm -hmm. where you're, you're really curious about what's in front of you, what you can see, what you can smell, the textures, you, know, you really break it down into really fine using all your senses to really concentrate on, on what's in front of you. I found it so funny because I'd, I'd started to then apply that to, you know, just eating dinner, etc. And there was one instance where we went out for dinner with some friends of ours and you know, all our plates came down. And there was this moment where the people I was eating with went straight into their food and they were hoeing down. And I kind of just sat there and I, I watched, I was like, wow, we haven't even had a look at what's in front of us. And so here I am, you know, everyone's hoeing in around me and I'm sitting there looking at my food, kind of poking it around, taking in the different, you know, the different colours on the plate and the different textures there, really smelling everything that was there and my mouth's filling with saliva. And my friend next to me says, is everything okay? Like, you know, is there, is there something wrong with your food? I said, no, I'm just, just having a look at it. And, it, and so uh, that for me was really interesting to see, you know, where we're socially conditioned and it's, you know, you haven't even taken in anything that's in front of you and we're already hoeing down into our meal. And I felt by applying a lot of that, I, I ate a little bit slower. I didn't have to eat as much because I was actually taking notice of how much I was putting in my mouth. And the experience of eating was much fuller and richer. So that was really satisfying. Yeah. And, you know, the research backs that up. So if we can engage all of our senses into that process, we're probably going to enjoy it more and we're going to feel more satiated with less food. You compare that to what people normally do. How many people eat while they're watching the TV or on the go or at the desk at their computer and they're barely paying attention at all to what's going into their mouth. And before they know it, they feel really full, but that's because they've probably eaten more than they've even realized. And then over time that could lead to, to health problems or weight gain. With your meditation then, after your experience, what's the, the key takeaways and how would you like to go from here? 
there's a lot of elements that I really found beneficial, but there was certainly some difficulties based on different circumstances outside of my control. And so I'd probably like to you know, get your opinion on when your routine is shifting, what's the best way to try and make a sustainable behavior change and make it at a certain time or something that's consistent and, and doesn't feel so much like a chore? It can be challenging, but I guess habit stacking is a really good way. If there's something that we're always doing at a consistent time each day or something that we generally do at a certain phase in our day and we can put it on top of that, so either beforehand or straight after, then that's a nice way to make sure that we do get it done around the same time each day. So, you know, if you have a morning routine and your morning routine, whatever time you wake up, you get up, you have a shower, you eat some breakfast and then you meditate – or you get up, you meditate, you have a shower, you eat some breakfast, then that's a nice way to make sure that you're getting it done every day. So I'd probably yeah. do that as opposed to say it needs to be at eight o'clock. Okay. I certainly think I could try that. I guess with the, you know, getting up early, I found that it was really cold outside. <laughs> um, I didn't want to get out of my warm bed and, you know, then on the weekend I'd be like, Oh, maybe I could get a little bit more sleep here or, you know, I didn't sleep all that well. Maybe I need a little bit more. These were sort of the obstacles that I, I ran into. But I think as soon as I walk in the door um, from getting home from work, for example, take your mm-hmm. shoes off, go and do your meditation. Exactly. And for uh, people that are working at home, the, to do 10 minutes of meditation at the end of a workday might be a nice transition from work mode to then relaxation mm-hmm. mode afterwards. Mm-hmm. So it really doesn't matter how we do it, but it is important that we try to work it into our lifestyle. Because if it does feel like a daily chore, then it's going to be hard to keep it up on a regular basis. But if we can get to the point where it becomes a natural habit or kind of just part of what we do, then it becomes a lot easier. I think with something like meditation where it's not like you you notice the benefits directly as a result of the meditation, it sort of just seeps into your life in different areas in an informal setting. So I guess that in terms of making a behaviour change, how do you get that initial reward for effort or notice that initial reward for effort when it's perhaps a little less direct? I'd say you probably won't. Unfortunately, this is why things that are kind of painful in the short term, but beneficial in the long term are the hardest habits to develop. So flossing is something I've always wanted to do on a daily basis. And I I might do it for like four days in a row and then it slips. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I'll be like, oh, I've got to get back to that. And then I'll do that for three or four days and then it slips. And that's because if you don't do it regularly, then it can hurt sometimes. So, you know, exercise is a similar thing. With exercise, sometimes we get that natural endorphin hit. With meditation, sometimes we get that benefit of just feeling more present and centered. But I do think it's something where you have to say, all right, I'm going to do it every day for at least two weeks or at least a month and then see if there are benefits for me. Now, if there are not, obviously we could just practice informal mindfulness which is where we try to be mindful with anything we're doing. When we're eating, when we're washing the dishes, when we're having a shower, that could just be the meditation practice that you do. And then it doesn't feel like a chore, but it still gives you some of those benefits. Yeah, it's the hard thing, isn't it, really? But putting in effort for you know, delayed gratification or, or not getting the reward straight away, that's the challenge of it, I guess, isn't it? It is. And I think maybe even reading some books about meditation and the benefits, the long term, can help Mm. to keep that in mind too. Like we know that it's good for pain, for stress, for mood, for so many different things. And so maybe just having that in your subconscious that, hey, if I can persist with this, it's going to have huge benefits can help with that short term pain. Keep that in mind. (laughs) Obviously, I set um, aside my month to work on meditation 
you were really focusing on on sleep. So I'm really interested to hear how you went over that period. It was pretty good. Like I, I probably, the intervention I tried the most was stimulus control, which was trying to get up at the same time every day, only going to bed when I felt sleepy, only using the bed for sleep. So, you know, not trying to do anything else in bed. And if I couldn't sleep to get up after say 15 or 20 minutes, go to the other room, wait till I felt sleepy and then to go back to bed. I did that and I also used the blue light blocking glasses in the last two hours before bed. And what I found is my time to bed really, it jumped forward a lot. Initially, I was going to bed at about 12.45 a.m. on average and I brought it forward to 11.34 for the last week. So over an hour forward, uh, which meant that I was able to get some more sleep. So I ended up sleeping over an hour more as well. So seven hours and 45 minutes was my average sleep, not this week, but the week before. Uh, whereas previously it was six hours and 25 minutes. Sleep efficiency was still about 93%, which is really good. My sleep score on the Aura Ring, it's out of 100. It jumped up from a 78 to an 85. My time to fall asleep was really quick, four minutes, but previously it was 15, so it wasn't too bad. My deep sleep jumped from two hours and 13 minutes to two hours and 59 and REM sleep from one hour to an hour and 20 minutes. So basically everything that you want to improve did improve. Fantastic. How good is that as a, an intervention? You've had great success there. Objectively, how have you felt as a result? Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, my readiness score, which is also tracked by the Ring, that jumped up from like a 74, which is considered good to an 86, which is uh, pretty great. And that meant that I just felt a bit more ready to take on my day. I did notice at the weekend, not last weekend, but the weekend before, I finally got my to-do list down to zero. So, you know, that's the first time probably since I've been back in Melbourne where I felt on top of everything. So I definitely think that was a, a positive benefit of sleeping more and feeling a bit more refreshed. And I was also able to be a bit more active. So my average steps each day went up from 6,800 to 11,100. So hopefully wow. that can then have some positive benefits on my health too. It sounds like um, you're really able to sort of apply what we spoke about into you know, creating a, a behavior change that has obviously made some difference in your life. Would you still like to continue to improve this going forward? Uh, no, I don't think I need to improve it further now. I'm pretty happy with it. It's just about trying to maintain that consistency. If I'm not careful, let's say if I don't wear the blue light blocking glasses, then it's very easy for my sleep to then jump back. And if I'm going to bed later and I'm still waking up at that same time, that obviously means less sleep. And then I feel more tired the next day. And then that to-do list builds up again. It's really just making sure that I keep up those healthy habits and try to be fairly consistent with it so that things don't slip. Was there anything that you think you'd keep doing and continuing? Definitely. I'll keep continuing both of those. I mean, stimulus control, probably the hardest instruction is to get up if you can't fall asleep. But yep. I was really waiting until I felt sleepy as well. So the combination of the glasses and then waiting until I felt sleepy meant that I'd fall asleep quickly every time. That's not a challenge for me, but I know that is for a lot of people I see. I think wearing the glasses can be a bit annoying at times, especially if you're trying to read and you know, if you're watching TV and you don't quite pick up on everything. But again, the benefits of it massively outweigh the negatives. So it's just really reminding myself that this is going to help and trying to do that every night. And you mentioned that if you do let some of these things slip potentially your sleep will suffer and your energy levels will suffer etc what will you do if you find that things do start to slip or the behaviors start to change in a negative direction 
I really think it's just getting back to basics. The good thing about wearing the Aura Ring is I get that daily feedback. Readiness score, if it drops down to 70 again, that's going to be an alarm bell that says, what's going on here? You know, was I working a bit too hard yesterday? Do I need to have an easier day today? Have that easier day. Hopefully the readiness score bumps up the next day and then I can get back on track. So I think with my sleep, it's not going to be an issue unless I'm not wearing the glasses, I'm on the computer too late, watching TV too late. Otherwise, I think it should be pretty good. That's the real benefit of having that objective data to be able to go, you're getting real-time feedback on changes that you're making and then you can compare it with how you're feeling. It's a real motivator to to continue to make and, and sustain these changes that you've put in place. For sure. What about for the next month? What are your goals for the next month or the thing you'd like to focus on? I thought I'd try something a little bit more active in this next month. Something that I've always wanted to be able to do is a freestanding handstand. And I've played with it for quite a a long time, but I've found it difficult to sustain consistent practice to be able to achieve that goal. And like anything, if you don't practice it, you don't get any better. That's something that I'd like to apply this this model to and and see if I can make a a real change. And freestanding, you mean not against a wall? Not against a wall. Yeah. And I think ideally, you know, being able to hold it with control for say 20 or 30 seconds, something like that would, would be a real achievement. Are there instructions out there on how to get better at this? Or what do people recommend? There are a few different workout programs and, and routines, but I'm going to enlist the, the help of a colleague of mine who he's a yoga instructor and I would say he's a handstand enthusiast. I'm going to get his take on it as a, an expert in the, in the area and see what he sort of recommends in terms of a, a daily practice and go from there. And what would be the benefits if somebody could do a freestanding handstand for 30 seconds on a daily basis? How would it help? Oh, look, it's a fun party trick, I guess, if nothing else. (laughs) I think for me, I do practice quite a bit of yoga myself and a lot of the poses tend to, particularly ones where you are doing hand balancing type work, require strength and and balance and stability. And all those things are really important in, I guess, physical autonomy and being able to get your body to do um, what you'd like it to be able to do. I don't think there's really any benefit other than improving your strength and, and coordination and Uh, mobility yeah and i'm guessing that if you've got good core strength then that would potentially help with reducing pain yeah there's probably a little bit of a can of worms there but certainly the more control you've got over how you move and and the coordination of how you move probably the less likely you are to suffer ongoingly with with pain right now like if you were to do a handstand how many seconds do you think you could hold it for Uh, it depends how many takes we did (laughs) but i think yeah if i had a nice sort of balance. I could probably get five or 10 seconds tops, yep. but it's, it's just super inconsistent. And how much time would you need to put into it every day to get to the point where you'd like to be, do you think? If I could get you know, 10 or 15 minutes a day, and that's the crucial thing for me is making it a daily thing. I'd sort of probably go do a big workout for 30 minutes or, or an hour or so, and I'd you know, pull up really sore and I'd struggle and I'd be like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. But if I could do shorter periods and incorporate some elements of play, I think that would be a big step in the right direction. Sounds great. And what would you like to work on this month? My main focus is going to be on lowering my blood pressure. I bought a, a home blood pressure machine and I've known for a while, like the last few times I've been to the doctors, they've said that it's on the elevated side. So I really just want to have a look at that uh, and to 
try to get it under control if I can through lifestyle measures. If I don't do that, then eventually I'm going to have to get to the point where I, I need to take it more seriously with my doctor and potentially get on medication. Ideally, I'd like to avoid having to take medication for blood pressure at the age that I'm at. So I really think to, to target it pretty intensely with those lifestyle factors and see what difference I can make, that would be a good point of focus for the month. And then after that, I'll go to the doctor and probably do a 24-hour blood pressure uh, check and then see where we need to go from there. Have you worked out how you're going to target those lifestyle factors or how you're going to work out which lifestyle factors to address? Yeah, yeah. I've had a look at a few websites. There's the American Heart Association, where they have five tips for lowering blood pressure. They've said that one of them is to try to maintain a healthy weight, so to have a BMI between 19 and 25. And currently I'm in the, the overweight category on that. So doing things to uh, look at my diet and, and to see if I can lose excess weight might help. I'm not going to focus too much on that. The second one is eat healthier. So lots of fruit and veggies and less processed food. That's something I definitely want to focus on uh, to reduce my sodium intake. So you're meant to have under 1500 milligrams of sodium a day. I don't know how much salt I'm eating at the moment as well, but I do, I do enjoy it. I like chips. I sometimes put salt on my food. So I think trying to cut down my sodium is another step that would be helpful. Uh, to get active, which I already have been walking a lot, but I want to get more into riding over this next month. So try to go out for probably three to four rides a week and then to limit alcohol, which I've already been cutting down as well. But, but I think to, to make sure that I stay off alcohol and I, I follow those five factors, uh, I'm hoping that'll m make a reasonable difference to the point where I don't need to have medication going forward. And I guess this is one of those things we were speaking about in terms of that delayed gratification. You may notice a difference in how you're feeling, but not necessarily going to get the, the benefits of huge drops in blood pressure over the month period. It's probably going to be a longer term investment, isn't it? It might be, yeah. So it's really trying to build up those healthy lifestyle factors. Getting used to food that doesn't have as much salt, definitely trying to cut out processed food. We know that there's not much benefit beyond convenience for that. So if I can find more convenient ways with meal prepping or just making sure there's always a salad in the fridge or other ways of making sure that there are those healthy options when I can't be bothered cooking a big meal, they're things that hopefully if I can have those habits, they'll stay with me for life. Fantastic. Thanks for joining me again this month. I, I look forward to hearing how the handstands go. <laughs> we'll do our best with it and best of luck. It sounds like you've got a big month ahead of you. Definitely. And with private clients are you still taking on any more referrals yeah absolutely at this stage we're still considered essential services and in the clinic in geelong at mandala wellness we're still seeing patients there self damon yeah yeah i'm taking on some video referrals at the center of clinical psychology we are doing face-to-face -face two days a week i'm very busy there but yeah i'm still taking on some clients for online sessions if people want that and through medicare if they're in australia uh, they can get that for a pretty reduced rate all right thank you no worries, thanks, Dan.